Hi everyone, welcome to Fast Charge episode 79. I'm your host Dom, and it is the usual crew this week, so I am joined by Lewis and Toddy. Uh, we're going to get straight to it. This has actually been a really busy week for launches, um, and despite that, we're only going to talk about one of them. Uh, the, the, the big news this week was the unveiling of the Pixel 5a 5G, the new mid-range Pixel device we've spoken about briefly on the show before. Bits of it had leaked before, we now finally know what it is. It's really, really odd as a phone, and we're going to unpack why that is. Um, and that is partly down to the fact that it is only launching in the US and Japan. So there's some weirdness to this device, and more weirdness when we come to the specs. So we're going to break that down for you. Uh, after that, we are going to turn to Oppo, who this week held a camera event basically to show off some of their upcoming camera tech so you thought that'd be a nice excuse to run down some of the features they're showing off speculate wildly and in the most uninformed way we can about which <laughs> phones those hardware features might appear in and when uh, and also talk about what other brands are doing around the same space because while Oppo has shown off three exciting camera features it's actually not the first one to do any of them I don't think though it may yet end up being the best at doing it some of them so we'll see Oh, they're doing the Apple. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then finally, we are going to turn to the Sony Xperia 1 Mark III, uh, which Toddy is going to review for us live on air. He has been testing this phone out. This is because today is the actual day the phone is finally on sale in the UK and Europe, a mere five months after Sony <laughs> announced it. Really fast turnaround from them. Well done, guys. You just knocked it out of They've the park well. this year. Uh, that shouldn't be any real comment on the quality of the phone. So we will talk about how that phone actually is after we finally managed to get our hands on it and spend some proper testing time with Sony's big 2021 flagship. Before that, we're going to run through some bits and pieces of news. Uh, like I said, there have actually been a lot of phone launches this week, so everything I'm about to talk about now is a phone launch. Uh, though for various reasons, none of them quite felt like things we wanted to talk about for a whole 20-minute segment on the show today. Uh, but without further ado, we have uh, the Vivo IQ 8 and 8 Pro were both unveiled. Uh, IQ is Vivo's, Vivo's um, kind of gaming line <laughs> is where they position it, though they don't it's not a serious gaming line in that these phones don't tend to come with RGB lights and strap-on fans and controller accessories and stuff like that. But they position, position it as kind of performance-focused, a little bit gamer-targeted. Uh, so the 8 and the 8 Pro have things like 120Hz displays, 120-watt charging, powered by the Snapdragon 888 Plus. So really top-spec flagships in that way. Uh, the main reason I think these are interesting this year, more so than IQ flagships might be in the past, is that we might see these launch more widely. Um, earlier this year, Vivo execs in Europe did talk about the fact that they were looking at bringing the IQ line out a bit more widely. So it's at least possible that within a month or two, we're actually going to see these announced for European release. Though right now, they're more likely to just be on track for an Asian launch. Uh, these phones are normally on sale in China and India and a few other Asian countries. So set for that. But we might see this in Europe, which would be kind of fun just because it's nice to have another player in that space. And I personally like, I haven't used any of the IQ phones myself, I don't think. But I like having gamer stuff that's about the specs, but without the gamer aesthetic. Because I know I'm very vocal that yeah. I'm not a fan of, of the look of gaming phones per se. And IQ, I think, strikes a nice balance. So I would, I'd happily see them launch more. Uh, on gaming phones, we also have the ROG phone 5S and 5S Pro, which are 
well, they do have the gamer aesthetic. These are, you know, jagged and LED lit and extra OLED screens on the rear of the Pro. Um, these are updated models. We had the 5, the 5 Pro and the 5 Ultimate earlier this year, if I'm yep. getting that right. The 5S and 5S Pro, there's just two of them, not three, are updated models. The big thing is just they have the 888+, Plus, that slightly upgraded version of the, the Snapdragon 888. And they also have a slightly higher touch sampling rate. Is that right, Lewis? Yeah. 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 Uh, 300 hertz. And that's it. Oh, sorry, 300. Yeah, up to 360. And yeah. that, that's the only, those are the only changes, right? Everything else is the same. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely not an upgrade in the sense that if you bought an ROG Phone 5, um, don't go like ha trying to hand that no. in and, and move up. You will not notice the difference. But this may be just enough to tempt some people into, into jumping on board if they hadn't already. Though, as of yet, we don't know anything about wider release plans. Uh, it's coming out in Taiwan, I think, first, which is where Asus is yep. based. And we do not know whether it will really come out anywhere else. I'm sure it will be launching more widely than that, but we don't know how widely. Yeah. And Asus's track record is very up and down on where they put even the you know the flagship ROG phones out. Um, but this is also partly notable because it's the first time they've done this with the ROG series, as far as I remember. I don't think we've had a mid-year mid refresh on them before. No. Um, so sounds like with this year being the first time they did three of the phones and now also throwing in another two through the refresh, clearly they're getting serious about this line as, as more than just a kind of loss-leading showstopper thing. That They must be making money on these and they're happy to keep pushing into them. And I do wonder if that means we're also going to start seeing more like budget-friendly ROG phones appear, kind of a mid-range ROG, that kind of thing. Whereas for now, they've... Yeah, because there is a very strong market for the mid-range gaming phone at the market yes. uh, at the moment, and that's one area where Asus is just not present at Absolutely. all. Absolutely, they've gone very it's high kind end. Of Red Magic's kind of dominated there, hasn't it? And maybe maybe Black, Black Shark, Shark as well, has, I guess. So yeah. Xiaomi and yeah. Z... Uh, is it ZT that Nubia? Or is it Vivo? I forget. ZT, ZT isn't it? yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Red Magic is Nubia, is ZTE. Uh, <laughs> if you want to follow the chain of parent companies. Uh, yes, okay, so that's gaming phones out of the way. We also have uh, the Xiaomi Redmi 10 has been unveiled. This is a, another budget Redmi phone. The things that kind of make this one sort of notable are that it has a 90 hertz refresh rate display, which I think is a first for the core Redmi numbered line. Um, 50 megapixel main camera. It's got the Helio G88 chipset from MediaTek, which I don't think we've seen in anything before. I think this might be the first phone to use that. Um, and big 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Um, so just another budget phone. It's nothing, I don't think there's anything about this that really stands out shockingly from the budget crowd. Um, but with prices kind of around the $200 line, I'm sure they will sell a lot of these. It is very competitive, as most Redmi phones tend to be. So if you're in the budget segment, here's yet another one. Um, <laughs> out, out in China and I think Malaysia first. And again, we don't know yet where else this one's going to come out. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a wider release. Uh, slightly more expensive, we have the Galaxy A52s. Yet another phone. This is a slightly tweaked version of the Galaxy A52, which is a phone that Samsung has sold a lot of. Um, tweaks here are pretty mild. It's got the Snapdragon 778G, um, which is a slightly upgraded chip compared to the 750G in the A52. And I think the only other change is that it ships with a 25-watt charger, 
which isn't to say it supports faster charging. The A52 also supported 25 watt charging, but shipped with a 15 watt charger. This one ships with a mm-hmm. full speed charger and has a slightly uh, slight chipset upgrade. So, again, it's something we've talked before. Samsung is having a good time of it at the moment in the mid range space, um, at least in terms of sales figures. We sometimes hesitate over how competitive they are for specs, but the brand name seems to pull them through and they sell a lot. So it's no surprise really to see them just tinkering with the with the model there and tweaking the lineup to, to offer something that they think will land a little bit better. And then finally, we have another two phones, both from Motorola. <laughs> uh, we have the Edge 20 Fusion which uh, is a new entry in the Edge 20 line, which has also just gone on sale today. But the Edge 20 Fusion isn't on sale yet, but that's a new addition to line that is just for India. Is that right, Toddy? There's there's talk of a separate Fusion, so same name, oh, no. but different spec, that's going to launch just for Verizon in of the course, US. Yeah. But right now, the only one that exists that's called the Fusion is this one that's just launched in India, which is basically the light with a few tweaks, including, I think, a processor tweak is the main difference. Cool. So mild refresh there. And then we've also got the Moto G60S, which like the A52S <laughs> from Samsung is a slightly tweaked refresh version of the Moto G60. Um, so another in it's kind of the budget mid-range space of Motorola. I don't know why this is the week that every manufacturer decided to throw out a slight refresh of one of its phones. Because that's the <laughs> ROG phone 5S and 5S Pro, the G60S and the A52S are all like S-named like refreshes of an existing phone. All launched within a day call, or two of each other. The Realme GT, which we talked about, the Master oh, Edition, the Master Edition series, I forgot. also launched this week globally. Yeah, And that's the Master Edition and the Master Edition Explorer, or Explorer yeah. Master Edition, which we talked about, which aren't quite like just tweaks on the GT. They just have the GT name and they have kind of more similar specs to the, uh, yeah. like the, the 778G that you mentioned in the Galaxy is mm-hmm. also in the uh, Master Edition. So, so similar kind of area that they're trying to hit. Yet more. Um, yeah, an onslaught. <laughs> uh, something like 10 phones launched this week, if you're just going to count them by specific handset models, which is absolutely wild, um, especially when so few of them are exciting announcements. Um, and so many of them are refreshes of existing hardware, which, on a completely unrelated note, Google has announced the Pixel 5a 5G, a brand spanking new phone, <laughs> not in any way based on existing hardware, no similarities to previous Pixel phones whatsoever, <laughs> except the Pixel 4a 5G, of which it is an almost perfect carbon copy, despite being a year on and officially being the successor. Mm. Uh, it is a little odd. So this is the new mid-range yeah. Pixel phone. It's only launching in the US and Japan, which initially seemed odd. Then we all chalked it up to, well, it's the chips shortage. You know, everyone knows chips are hard to find in the industry. Everyone's struggling. Maybe that's why they limited its release. Now we've seen the phone. It's clearly because the thing wouldn't sell anywhere outside the US and Japan. <laughs> where the mid-range markets are a little more limited. And, you know, unsurprisingly, we've seen reviews come out from some US publications who are all saying, yeah, this is a great, this is the best mid-range phone on the market now. This is the mid-range Android to buy. And uh, as European press, and I've seen similar comments from like Asian tech press, you sort of look at it and go, that? That's the best (laughs) mid-range phone? That? (laughs) Um, If you you side-by-side, it looks lazy. And it is lazy, <laughs> it but is in lazy. markets like the US, they can be lazy because exactly. there's so little competition in that space. Exactly. So let's break it down. First, I'm just going to say what, <laughs> what, 
it's probably quicker to say what has changed. This is a Pixel 4a <laughs> 5G, but it has a bigger display. It has a bigger battery. It has IP67 waterproofing. And I think the construction of the body is slightly different. There's a metal frame now where there wasn't yeah, before. Yeah, they both have like a polymer feel. But I think that, yeah, this one is a metal unibody. The 4a 5G, I think, is a polycarbonate unibody. Yeah. Um, and that's it. So yeah, that's like the main difference. Yeah. I mean, and when you say a bigger screen, it's 0.1 inch bigger. Yes. So side by side, wow. it's ever so slightly taller because it's a different aspect ratio, yep. but it's the same pixel density. So in terms of the clarity of the screen, it's going to be identical to the 4A 5G. Yeah. And that's it. Bizarre. That's all they've changed. <laughs> Camera's the same. Cool. Thank- the chipset's Thanks for watching, the same. Guys. <laughs> um, it's literally got the exact same 765G, Snapdragon 765G. That they used Ooh. in the 4A 5G and the five and the five last year, and even at that point they were late to using that chip. So this is a year and a half old chipset fundamentally um, that they're still throwing. And I know it's, it's, it was a good chip. It, it, it powered the um, the original Nord last year. As I said, it powered the Pixel Five last year. It was a chip we've talked about a lot on the show because it powered a lot of sort of cheap flagships and premium mid-range devices. Um, in, in 2020 so no slight at all to the 765g but it does feel very strange to me to release a successor to a phone a year on that uses the exact same chipset to power the exact same camera uh, with the exact same charging capabilities and everything else and so from an actual performance perspective absolutely nothing has changed or improved except what they're able to do with software tweaks which is to me, a bit shocking as a, as a sort of way to yeah. release a follow-up phone. And also the, the timing means it doesn't get Android 12 yet. So yes. it's going to get the same number of updates as the 4A 5G would. I'm pretty sure that means. So well, it'll start on 11, which the 4A 5G started on, I think. Did the 4A 5G not start on 10? Or was it... Did the 4A 5G start on 10? I can't I'm remember. Because sure. they, they also, last year, they all launched slightly they blurred together the launch timings, yeah. So they have promised three years of, of software upgrades. But yeah, it is a fair point that having launched just before Android 12, actually that first year of updates will be the Android 12 one, um, which will slightly affect what you get. So I think it means you'd only get um, 12. You Depending on how they count it, you could even just get 12 and 13. I think, and not even hit 14, um, depending on how Google decides to do its upgrade maths. So I think actually they'll be generous because generally with upgrades, they've pushed more than they're yeah. committed to for the Pixel line. So I wouldn't really stress about that too much. Um, but yeah, it, it's a funny one, especially because what I'm really struck by is that when the Pixel 4a 5G came out, you know, the phone a year ago that this has barely improved on, even that didn't feel especially competitive in the European marketplace. A year ago so to release the same phone a year on makes it feel like i mean an even tougher sell um it is a little cheaper it's 450 dollars compared to 500 dollars on last year's model so it's a 50 dollar price cut but i mean if you bought a you 4a 5g the 4A would, cheaper. Yes, exactly yeah. the 4a 5g will have had a more than a 50 dollar price cut in the marketplace um just to get into the nitty gritty, because that's what this kind of phone is forcing our hand to do uh-huh. as well, is 
the 5G element, it won't support the C bands or something, which in the US market, AT&T and I think T-Mobile use or will be using at the end of this year. It doesn't support that aspect of the 5G spectrum oh, over there. So even though it is a 5G phone, it won't be as well equipped in the long term as some other 5G phones. But then I don't know if at that price point in the mid-range market in the US, that's actually commonplace maybe not yes i'll admit my my detailed knowledge of us 5g network bands is gonna, is Come gonna on, fall no. short. <laughs> yeah, i mean <laughs> but like if you're only launching it in two markets surely you'd make sure that those that two bit. markets you, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah just that one you've only got those two <laughs> it's to so do much it. easier than launching a phone globally like you have so yeah. fewer issues to try and like match and meet like standards to, to adhere to but equally they're barely even launching it in those markets so we say it's launching in the us and japan but to be clear what that means is if you're in the US or Japan, you can buy it from Google's online store. If you're in New York, you can buy it from Google's retail store, <laughs> the one shop it has worldwide. You can go to the New York Google store and buy it. If you're in the US, you could also buy it from Google Fi, which is its um, uh, its its network, its carrier. So that's a Google-owned oh, yeah, thing. But it's not available through any other US carriers. And if you're in Japan, it's available on one carrier, SoftBank, which is one of the big ones in Japan, to be fair. But still, it's on a single carrier in Japan and the Google store. And it's on a single carrier that happens to be Google's carrier in the US hmm. plus the Google store. And that's it. And they say, you know, if you buy from Google, it will be unlocked. It will work on other carriers with those network caveats. But this is not a big release. Even with the, it's not like in the US they're going all out on this. This is not going to be in other stores. This is not going to be with other carriers. They're not pushing it to T-Mobile or to AT&T or any of the people that might be selling the Pixel 6, um, which, you know, suggests either Google has just given up on this phone and couldn't be bothered to make any deals with anyone, or just that it actually has so few units that this is the only way it's worth selling and they'll still sell through all their stock on their own store because, yeah, maybe it was genuinely shortages that drove this and they've only made a small number of them. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point like this. It's just, it's like they're trying to not sell it. So I yes. wonder if there's so few devices in, in you know, it's not like they would have made a lot of these. Yeah. They've made it to this point, so they've got some, but they're like, guys, we need to shift these at some point. They're going to yeah. sit in the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, one colour as well, which is like a black green, kind of very dark yes, green, which looks... It's not mm, colour. I, I don't love it. I don't, I don't like it. it. It's not black enough to be black or green enough to be green. Uh, yeah. And uh, I actually really like dark green phones. I really liked the green color of the, the new Z Flip. I liked. Uh, there it is. The, yeah, yeah, per episode. It's got to happen at least once. Um, yeah. I really like the dark green that Huawei did. I think they call it Forest Green. They had it on a few mm. ones, and, and I've got that on a Huawei laptop. And th yeah, that, that green finish is lovely. We've seen dark green from a few other brands. This is just. Green iPhone. The, 11 Pro Max. Yes, yes. Yeah, that iPhone is lovely as well. That's good. So I like that kind of finish. This is a black finish with. I think they call it like green undertones and it's like sometimes it just looks black sometimes it looks green but it doesn't really quite look right for either I, I don't love it um it's kind of amazing that you can screw up doing a black phone uh and they, <laughs> yeah they did somehow find find the way uh so kudos uh the only other time i think of really screwing up doing a black finish was that super reflective iphone they did uh yes the, the piano the piano black yes. finish. oh yes that was I remember that good. one. iPhone 10 days. Yeah. That was, was terrible. Super scratchy as well. I remember yes. it just took on scratches like nobody's business. Even if you put it in a case, the case would scratch the phone. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> and you had to you couldn't get it at the base level. You had to like get the more storage to like, you had access to get the expensive that. one. Yep. Gloss black, but 
definitely wasn't worth it. Yeah. They, they, they pulled back on that one pretty quickly. Mm. <laughs> so it's worth let's talk about what has changed and what, you know, the good changes that are here, given that there is a price cut as well. So you may see this as good. So the big one, I think, is the waterproofing. IP67 yeah, sure. on a $450 phone is unusual. So I think that's a fair point. On a mid-range phone yeah. is unusual. Like I remember that's why we sung the praises of the Xperia 10 Mark II last year. Yes. Was because it was like one of the only ones at that price point that offered that feature. Um, yes. And the Asus Zenfone 8, which is a little more than this. This is another 100 or yeah. I can't remember the US pricing, at least $100 more than this, maybe a couple hundred more. Yeah. Um, that offers it. So, it, But it is unusual. For this price, $450, I don't know that you're going to find anything else new with a waterproof rating like that. So kudos to them. I can see that will appeal to a lot of people. And then the other one is battery. And I say it's a battery increase. Sometimes that's just, oh, it's a tiny bit bigger. This is a 20% battery increase compared to the 4A 5G. Um, it's up to now 4,680 milliamp hour cell, uh, which is 20% more, like exactly 20% increase. So that's clearly been a priority. And I think given that pixels have had battery problems in the past, I think that's <laughs> a very telling thing to focus mm. on here. And I can, again, see the appeal of someone being like, I like a Pixel. I've heard they have bad battery, but this one has a much bigger battery. So cool, that's a good Pixel to buy. Um, and as much as he ragged on the chip, saying it's the same as the 4A 5G last year, it's also the same as the 5, which is currently the flagship Pixel. Not for long, but you know, it is technically running the exact same chipset as their flagship, which is worth something. And it will handle the camera side about as well as the Pixel 5 handles its camera, because again, it has the same camera as the Pixel 5. As, you know, as much as it has in common with the 4A 5G, it also has a lot of that in common with the 5 itself, which is something to commend in this phone. Yeah, I think the one thing it doesn't have, which I don't know if you can see, is the little uh, IR uh, rangefinder mm -hmm. kind of focus uh, sensor. So that just doesn't have that. But that's like a minor thing. You can do uh, focus perception with like two lenses quite easily just through two lenses. So there's all sorts of ways. And Google being Google would have probably sussed that out yes. pretty quickly um i think that might be i'm just trying to look it up actually i think it might be one of the biggest batteries in a pixel phone ever i think it might be the biggest in a pixel phone yeah which is you know i mean pixel phones have always been slightly smaller than like the market average yep. but that's promising that's like really genuinely approaching i think that's you know around galaxy s21 size so yeah with stock android and and the way google handles its take on android it's yeah, probably going to be quite good on the on the longevity side. Yes, which is nice. I think this will be a good battery phone. Obviously, a good camera phone. Um, it will be you know the same level as it was a year ago. So it hasn't improved there, but it was very good a year ago. It will still be good now. Um, display is going to be a, a real limit for a lot of people. It is OLED, but it's only sixty hertz. And I think at that price on the Android side, people are beginning to expect faster refresh rates. So I imagine that will will frustrate some. Um, and eighteen watt wired charging is fine but again if you're in the android space in europe or asia you'll be you will be able to get a lot more for your money and i think people are going to be aware of that and also only six gig of ram which is um getting a little light again for its place in the market from i think we're <clears> in quite a privileged perspective like being uk based so we do get that that uh the chinese market kind of spills over here as well mm -hmm. So just having that context, it, it's quite upsetting knowing that people might look at this as a good deal. And I just think of all the Xiaomi's <laughs> and Realme's that we've tested that I'm like, wow, that is yes. that's hell value for money. And this is, even though it's going to be a great device, I have no qualms like with like how Google builds its phones. 
Yes. But the, there's just no competition so that they can be it, lazy here or they can be complacent. In the UK, you could get a phone for half the price of this that outspecs it. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it won't necessarily be a software experience you enjoy as much as Google's Pixel software. So no. that And that is a big factor, and I get that. It won't get updates for as long as this will. Um, the camera performance probably won't quite match this. And you won't get that waterproofing. So I understand why some of those things will be big swings for sure. in the Pixel direction. Uh, but from a, from a lot of the other specs, you would be able to beat this for a fraction of the price in the European market. Um, and I, I remain a little surprised that this has been as well reviewed as it has already in the States, because I, I know their market, the US mid-range market is a little more limited. It's fundamentally Motorola and Samsung um, and, then, and then the Pixel A series. So I get that it's going to have a more dominant position in the marketplace. But still, the fact that it is so unchanged from last year's model... Um, you would still think people would expect a bit more. And actually, people have generally, reviewers from what I've seen, have been very, have received this pretty warmly and been pretty positive to it as a new mid range entry in, in the US market. I mean, the thing we also always have to address with US phone sales is like, you know, carrier sway is so much bigger over there. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they only have, what did you say, the one carrier partner, was it? Well, for the, for the US, um, it's just none, Google's own. Um, oh, and, in the US, and, none, and it's Japan just SoftBank one. in Japan. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, a sign in and of itself of of how little i think they're expecting this to kind of do in terms of make waves mm -hmm. in their own home like region um yeah so very very strange yeah very strange uh we got a few comments in the chat on youtube that i just want to um pull out uh one point um from iar 1980 er 1980 uh this phone will be <laughs> sure. better optimized with a snapdragon 765 than newer offerings from other oems who are compensating to some extent with more power and ram um, and that may well be true and we've spoken about this kind of thing before in terms of camera sensors certainly an occasion with chipsets that sometimes there is good reason for an oem to stick with the same chip or the same camera sensor year on year because if they know what they're doing with it and they know how it interacts with their software and their firmware um, there can be some benefits and maybe they're capable of getting more out of it. And yeah, this is Google's third phone with the 765G. And so you could easily believe that they know what they're doing with it. And especially from the camera perspective, where it obviously plays a big part in the image processing for the camera. And if they know that, that gets, they can get the camera performance they want from that chip, you could see that being an argument for them to, to stick with it year on year rather than go for a, a, sort of a smaller upgrade within the Snapdragon portfolio counterpoint to that would be that i imagine a lot of the work optimizing for the 765g in this case would probably also translate to the 4a5g at the very least if not the 5 as well so as long as you don't need that waterproofing or that bigger battery if they're not like essential features for you you might just get a better deal yes picking up an existing 4a5g i think and you probably get the same benefits performance wise. my the big thing for me is actually the five having you you having said that because a year mm. on and especially with the six around the corner and when the six comes out that five is going to drop in price. And yeah. I don't know why you'd buy the 5A 5G over a five with a price cut. Considering I have access to a lot of nice phones, the one I kind of default to is the five. Yeah. It's real good. It's really, really good. It's the best <laughs> 765G powered phone mm -hmm. out there. Um, obviously for gaming and stuff, it just doesn't have quite the same oomph. But depending on if you just want an everyday smartphone, it's a really, really solid Android offering. And yeah, it getting cheaper is with that long term software support that so many other companies can't match. Yep. 
that's going to look really tasty when the Pixel 6 rolls around. Exactly. Um, I think the 5 might seem quite appealing to a lot of people, especially if you do not like the 6's design, which is a little divisive. Yeah. Uh, you know, worth <laughs> saying on this one, we talked a little about the, the aesthetic, but it, again, has the exact same design language as the 4A 5G and as the 5. So if you like that and do not like the new 70s color hues and camera bar of the 6, <laughs> then uh, actually there's maybe a reason again to opt for this or look at last year's models. Um, another comment from, from actually the same commenter, but also on this topic of longevity, um, that maybe the lower charging speeds are here in a way a blessing rather than a curse, because that does play into that idea that fast charging can speed up battery degradation. Sticking to 18 watt charging here may help maintain battery health over a long time, which together with Google's commitment to long-term software support does maybe help position the phone as a phone you can buy that you can use for several years rather than one that you're going to have to replace within within 24 months. Whilst there's no like definitive way to like lab tests how a battery is going to perform in the long term, a lot of these manufacturers, when they are building this fast charging tech now, when we've like either asked them or they've just told like introduce us to their new charging tech, whatever it is, they talk about the fact that they rate batteries for like X number of cycles, which equates to X number of years. Yeah. And that usually seems to be about two to three years of use. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they see the average smartphone in a person's pocket being like. So if you're planning on using a phone beyond that, then yeah, maybe the pixels will stand you in better stead than maybe a super fast charging Realme phone or something like that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to look at that in terms of the long term because that is an underlying element of the current smartphone market that I think is growing is, is longer term support. And that's not just software that is components and the battery is so important, Exactly, especially in a phone that is sealed uh, with a unibody design like this is. The one flip side to that is of course with this, not to rag on it again, but the chipset is already a year and a half old and it's yeah. only six gig of Ram. So as we get, you know, as you get these Android version updates that are coming down the line, actually this is, badly positioned within the pixel portfolio in terms of performance staying solid um, from us not getting laggy not having stutters and freezes because there will be a point where compared to some other ones this this suffers more as it gets upgraded in terms of how smoothly it keeps running because they've gone for all the internal components so you know it goes both ways unfortunately for this phone it's not it's not so clear cut uh, and then finally from wilbert 7 60 hertz is a bummer and yeah, it is a bummer. With that, let's move on to all things Oppo. <laughs> um, we uh, Oppo had an event this week in China to show off a few bits of new camera tech. Not in any specific phone. This was kind of similar to the way it unveiled its under-display camera tech uh, a couple of weeks ago, where it just basically had a little event and sent out a press release to say, hey, look, here's our second gen of our under-display tech. Isn't it cool? You're going to see it eventually. Uh, this time, they showed off three different camera features that they say are coming to devices in the future. And they have actually given timeframes for some of these features, which is nice. So we'll talk about that as we go. But we have, first up, a new RGBW sensor. That is a red, green, blue, and white sensor. Um, so that will essentially uses white subpixels as well as the red, green, and blue ones which helps with low light capturing and noise reduction. This is kind of one of the directions we're seeing a few sensors go in, adding in this extra pixel color or lack of color. And um, <laughs> Oppo sort of showed off its new generation of that tech. 
I think perhaps the most exciting is the continuous optical zoom, which uh, we have seen before, and we are going to talk about that. But Oppo has shown off a version that covers a range of 85 to 200 millimeters. And I think it's that range of zoom that makes their implementation here a little bit more exciting than what we've seen from anyone else so far. And then finally, they showed off five axis OIS optical image stabilization, which, uh, it, as the name suggests, is stabilizing the camera sensor through five different axes of movement. This, again, we've kind of seen because this is fundamentally the same tech that Vivo uh, calls its gimbal camera stabilization, which you'll find in the X60s and was in the X50 Pro last year. And it certainly has some similarities to Apple's iPhone stabilization tech, which I can't remember how many axes that covers, but they also sort of <laughs> boast more enhanced stabilization. Uh, so let's break these down uh, one by one. I guess let's start with that um, RGB W sensor, which uh, Oppo says will allow 60% more light to be captured and a 35% improvement in noise reduction over conventional image sensors. Uh, and it is using tech, I love the name of this, DTI, Deep Trench Isolation Tech. Oh, <laughs> so oh. cool. So cool. Isolate those trenches. <laughs> I mean, can I just say, like, if, if it's supposed to add more light to the photo, they've supplied the worst sample possible. Because the sample shot that is on screen now for people that are watching the stream is so dark compared <laughs> to what you'd expect from a photo. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't get that. I assume all. the context is that was taken in a pitch black room or something. Um, yeah, well, they didn't tell you that was taken in a black hole, <laughs> yeah, and that's why. Exactly, it yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's a little odd without any context around that. Um, but yeah, but yeah, this is, uh, as I said, really the emphasis here is around improving um, low light capture. That deep trench isolation tech, sorry to finish that. Um, basically, it, it, the, I, I don't know if there are really trenches here. I really hope so. But it's about isolating the, the pixels from one another and the light they capture so that there's a clearer sense of e the light that each pixel has captured and you don't get sort of cross-contamination between them is basically the idea. Um, what we don't know is anything around the sensor resolution they're looking at or the sensor size they're looking at for this. They said it will use four in one binning, which kind of gives you some clues as to what they're looking at in terms of resolution, because they're not say talking about non-binning like you might expect from a 108 megapixel. Four in one binning could suggest a 48 or 64 megapixel sensor. Yeah. The four in one bins down to twelve or sixteen, so that's probably what I would I would guess we're going to be looking at whenever this turns up in something. I can't see anywhere in the in the announcement what those percentages in terms of like you know what is it sixty percent improved low light performance or whatever it was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and thirty five percent reduction in noise. What sensors they're comparing that against? If that's another Oppo phone, one you can actually buy, then that is probably a really good benchmark to work off of. The asterisk. If that's like the Find X two Pro or something, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. They don't say specifically. They say uh, data from Oppo Lab compared with previous generation RGB sensor. <laughs> so it's compared to an RGB sensor as opposed to an RGBW sensor. Sure. Um, but yes, it's not clear exactly. There's no point to it. It's that sensor, the one we use in that phone, so that we can look and say, aha, I, you know, I can see the, the step they've made. Um, 
it's it's sort of similar to how Huawei switched to using RYYB sensors, like having additional pixels exactly. that dedicate, like pull in different wavelengths of light. Yeah. It's the same idea if you're familiar with that over the what Oppo's doing here. Yeah. Um, and I think we have seen phones with RGBY before. RGBW. RGBW, excuse me, before. But I can't remember which manufacturer that was from. I can't remember if any are out. I know there's talk that Samsung is working on a new 50 megapixel RGBW sensor that may end up being what goes into the S22 range. Mm. Um, and it's predicted that they're going to, I think Ice Universe, I think one of the big leakers was saying they're going to announce that sensor September this year and that we're going to see it in the S22s next year. Um, so it, Samsung at least is looking at it from the sounds of things. So I don't know. I don't think they have any out yet. I think this will, that will be, will be Samsung's first. Um, but... Um, Apparently, the Huawei P8 back in 2015 had an RGBW. Oh, fascinating. Sensor. But then they left RGBW and went for their all Huawei B. Yeah. yeah. The P8 was a nice phone, nice design, yeah. if memory serves. Uh, apparently, Vivo pushed out an RGBW sensor mm-hmm. in late 2020 as well. So they yeah. do exist, but this is, I presume, the numbers here are meant to be the most impressive ever. Or just the fact that Oppo's working on it and Oppo's track record with camera tech of late has been pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean there's an interesting line in The Verge's report on this that I'm not sure where they got this wrong because it's not in anything that we were told by Oppo. But The Verge says that Oppo acknowledges that earlier attempts at RGBW sensors had their limitations. Oh, burn. Um, but that it's improved <laughs> on it. So this definitely isn't brand new tech in the sense that no one's ever done this before and Oppo doesn't seem to be claiming it. But they do seem to be pushing the idea that yes, they've um, they've fixed this, I guess, um, or improved on it. Um, what's interesting here is well, there's a couple of interesting things. One is obviously, actually, in terms of Oppo's flagships, they use their own. They don't always use their own sensors. So the Find X3 Pro used Sony image sensors. Um, it used the Sony IMX sensors for its for its main cameras. Um, so it's not entirely clear where Oppo is going to put these into play. And I'm not sure off the top of my head which phones it currently has that actually use its own sensors. Um, because again, it does tend to use the Sony IMX ones in its big flagships. Tellingly also, it says that it's going to come to Oppo phones starting Q4 of this year. Um, now, again, that means not the Find X4 series, assuming that is what we're going to get because that series would be expected spring next year, and that would be the next flagship. We've also just had the new Renos, so it's not in the new Reno line. So that means it's not enough going to be, unless it's in a sort of standalone concept phone or standalone flagship, actually maybe this is something that's going to get thrown out in a mid-range offering or something like that, rather than something really high-end. Well, the, the thing with the Reno line, especially in China, is that it comes out, it can come out twice a year, but then the Renos we get internationally, which are actually usually different phones, just come out once a uh-huh. year or once every kind of like um, 18 months, whatever it is. Uh, so maybe it will be in China that we see this tech first in a Reno device that comes out this year, despite there already being a new 2021 Reno line out there already. I feel like we've had That's two my, Reno yes. lines this year, but I, I can't keep count of them. They throw oh, Renos out so frequently. It's, <laughs> they do, they do, exactly. <laughs> it is hard to track. Um Yes, yeah, so we'll see. It, it, they've said so little about this that it's really hard to get a sense of what we're going to get from it or, or where. But it, equally, it's the one we're going to see stuff from Q4 this year. So it's only going to be a few months before we see a phone packing the sensor and actually get a sense directly of what it can achieve. Um, 
more exciting is this continuous optical zoom, uh, which is yes. a moving lens element for continuous zoom between 85 millimeter and 200 millimeter equivalent. So to put that in sort of plainer words, normally, you know, you get a zoom lens in your phone camera and it's set to three times zoom, or you get a periscope and it's at 10 times zoom. Um, Sony has in the Xperia 1 Mark III, which Toddy is going to talk about soon, so we I'm will touch on this. Sony, <laughs> in that phone, has a zoom lens that, if correct me if I'm wrong, can move between two specific zoom points. So that yeah. you can have two set depths of zoom and the camera can move the lens element between those two. Uh, what Oppo is showing off here is something that can move the lens element gradually between two zoom points so that you also hit all the zoom points on the way. So it's like when you pinch to zoom on your phone and normally you're just getting digital zoom in all the in-between spots, this will actually be giving you the optical zoom on all the in-between spots between your two set zooms. Um, how continuous it really is or whether it just has more fixed points along the way. You know, I don't know how finely tuned mm. they'll be able to get the 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 setting. Um, but this is pretty exciting. I mean, it, it's the sort of tech that will be exciting for companies like Samsung that are currently throwing two different zoom lenses in on their ultra phones, yeah. which they'd probably really rather not be doing <laughs> if they didn't have to. And being able to just do the one that covers both will will help. Um, also, just from an engineering perspective, this stuff is wild. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've well, thrown a GIF up Sony on screen one. so people can yeah. understand how it's kind of working inside the, the camera. And it's, just, it's and crazy. just the scale of that is millimeters, you know, that this yeah. is yeah. operating on. It always a single hair would ruin yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think about the fact that, you know, some people drop their phone sometimes. And there, mm -hmm. there are these phones with like seven lens elements, some of which move along a transverse like rack yeah. and have to like be stabilized. And you can also just drop it on the floor or drop it in the bath or something. And then it still has to be able to do yeah. that amazing piece of technical, like incredible imaging goodness. So, yeah. I, uh, I don't know how they do it. It is, it is, it's it is standard. <laughs> so we do have a similar caveat here to what we talk about with the RGBW sensor, which is Oppo is not the first company to do this. Um, already had that slight caveat that Sony handles one with two zoom points. But Vivo has also shown this tech off already, and it has shown off continuous zoom, and we've spoken about it on the show before. In the Apex 2020 concept phone, it had a similar tech, um, What's important here is that the, the range that Vivo's tech covered was 130 to 195 millimeter equivalent zoom. Oppo's is 85 to 200 millimeters. So they've managed this to cover a much wider zoom range, uh, which obviously just makes it a lot more versatile um, and, and mm -hmm. impressive for a lot of people. So the 85 mil is kind of at the level you could use for like portrait headshots kind of photography through to then the 200 mil, which is, you know, Real, real zoom, 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 zoom. zoom. I mean, there's, <laughs> it, it, if you're old enough, if you go back in time a little bit further, there were a few, a couple of Samsung. No, actually, they're all Samsung phones. Back that, in my day. Back in my day, because <laughs> um, I mentioned them in my review of the Sony, uh, the Samsung Galaxy K Zoom, the S4 Zoom, and something called the W800, which I think was only in Japan. Mm -hmm. They basically look like old digital cameras. I with love the S4 motor-driven zoom, zoom lenses so on the back. But they were Android phones on the front. Um, mm -hmm. So in a weird way, there have already been these, but it's a very different kind of implementation. On paper, it might sound like the same thing, but this is arguably more impressive because of the size and the scale and, and what it's doing as a result. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's the fact that they've managed to get, you know, it, again, in the, 
this tech has existed in there and we've had cameras that can do this for so long what's mm. astonishing here is just being able to shrink that tech down to a size that they can fit it into a smartphone camera module without any extra sort of protruding parts and and serious bulk um that said i i don't think oppo has really shown off quite how big this module is and i'm sure it is by smartphone standards still pretty bulky so oh yeah it's okay though because the bar's been raised by the mi 11 ultra so now they exactly. have a lot more wiggle room <laughs> than lot, they did before. Yeah. <laughs> you get a lot more leeway on a big camera module now than you ever exactly. could before um but yeah i mean it, you know it's worth saying the reason a lot of camera models have gotten a lot bigger especially on on the really top tier ultra phones and the flagships it is for the most part the periscope lenses that are the problem because to function to hit those max 10 times zooms and things they need a lot of space it's just the physics of it they're still trying to shrink that down and that will keep happening this will presumably be at least that big if not bigger um, that also has knock-on effects to the size sensor you're able to use and as we you know will know from more recent phones especially the conversations around main lenses uh, main cameras bigger sensors are better and that's another area we've had improvement but it's much hard, it's hard to fit in a big sensor and a big zoom module with all these moving parts so it's always this balancing act uh and there will always be trade-offs with something like this but it is really really cool um we haven't seen any we haven't seen this pop up in any actual phone i mentioned vivo has shown this tech off before but that was in a concept phone vivo hasn't yet put it into an actual device yet and hasn't uh i know there's a lot of leaks coming around about the next vivo set of phones will be the x70s which are on the way but there's no nothing i've seen to suggest this tech or anything like it will be in that. So Oppo still has a chance to be the first to actually put this in a handset, uh, but it has not said anything about dates on this. There's no word on when it's going to put this in a phone, um, unlike what we saw with the RGBW sensor where they said this year, there's absolutely nothing on when this might turn up, which probably means a while, to be blunt. Um, yeah. yeah. At the earliest late next year, I would say, if not 2023. But very cool. Finally, let's uh, move on to the last tech they showed off, which was 5-axis OIS, um, which, again, similar to what Vivo's done before in its gimbal stabilization, but essentially this is optical image stabilization that stabilizes both the lens and the sensor separately. Um, so the specific way they've done it here is that when there's relatively low movement, it will stabilize the lens across horizontal and vertical shifting. So that's two axes if you're counting. Uh, and then when there's more severe movement, it will also stabilize the sensor itself across both horizontal and vertical as well as rolling. And that's your other three for a grand total of five axes. Sort of. Depends on, I, you know, it's a bit of a weird way to count axes, in all honesty. But. Yeah, because I was trying to count just like <laughs> from a singular object. Okay, you can do that way, that way, that way. They broke like space time all. a little bit to make this a work. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> And also, surely there's like implications to having the lens and the sensor stabilize independently of one another because they have to stay within, like, within step in order to like ensure yes. the shot. It sounds like it's introducing more problems. Well, I mean, I'm sure they figure this out already, yeah. but in developing this, in my head, it's more problems than it than it fixes. I imagine there's of. a lot of complex software work to keep them in line. That is again. So Vivo has yeah. done this, and the difference here is Vivo has done this and has put it in phones for a year and a half now. We're on the second generation of Vivo phone that have this broadly this tech in. Um, just because you reviewed thing. the next three, didn't that have it? It's Wasn't not the next the three. It was it? the Vivo X50 ah. Pro that introduced it. Yeah, and then they put it in. I think all all three of the X60s this year. I think even the regular X60 had it, but if not, certainly the Pro and the Pro Plus did. Right. Um, 
So I've used it on a few Vivo phones, and it's very impressive. I, I, you know, I think it does a good job. I, I think it has the biggest effect if you're, if you are interested in video shooting. You know, I think there's a lot of. It's very good at stabilizing video. It does help with low light and night mode things like that. Again, any stabilization to prevent your handshake as you're trying to, you know, hold for mm -hmm. the long exposure. I didn't notice it as drastically improving things there. I think just because regular OIS is is enough to counter most handshake unless you've got very shaky hands. Um, so I, I think really it's going to make a difference for, for people who shoot a lot of video. And, you know, Vivo has certainly always pitched its tech that way as kind of for vloggers and things like that. If you want to, you know, vlog while you're walking about somewhere, it will, it will keep things pretty stable. Or if you want to do any action cam kind of recording from your phone, things like that. But um, yeah, I think this is th this one we're going to see in products from Q1 of 2022, they say, which to me immediately suggests Find X4 Pro, uh, which we will see in Q1 of 2022 in all likelihood. And this certainly, again, in, in Vivo, this is tech they've been putting into their flagships. Their, their absolute most expensive devices have been the ones packing this kind of tech. And I think it makes sense that Oppo would take the same line and again, pitch this for bolstering the Find X4 Pro's video spec and also bolstering its low light capabilities because it's always pitched those phones as camera phones and actually video has been a big part of how it pitched the Find X3 Pro because it was so big on the 10-bit color production and the display quality and things like that and how it can handle 10-bit across the whole experience. So I think actually them doing this pitch of here's another way this is incredible for video seems very uh, on brand for me for what they do with those those phones. I'm wondering what happened to the liquid lens technology because that was a big kind of hot like trend in kind of lots of rumors mm. for devices last year and earlier this year. I think the Mi Mix Fold technically has a, yes. a liquid lens, but no other kind of mainstream phones actually have it. Like we were expecting the P50 to have it mm -hmm. and the P50, P50 Pro, they don't have it. Um, the idea of that was both super fast autofocus because you're just changing the shape of the lens, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but also potential telephoto applications as well. Um, so yeah, just I, that seems to have fallen by the wayside and they're going for much more kind of practical, less kind of uh, futurist yes. uh, approaches to so, camera. So very and blunt, just more kind of physical, mechanical practical moving solutions. parts. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're just trying to make the parts smaller. Exactly. And just surprised, like, I was, like, kind of excited to see what that was going to be like. And it looks like now a lot of the manufacturers, maybe they just found that that's just really hard right now. And these solutions are yep. a stopgap, um, an yeah. improvement, but a stopgap, <clears throat> maybe, maybe. I, I wonder if it is as much as anything just a matter of cost of production, if if liquid lens solutions turned out to be incredibly expensive and weren't going to scale in the right way uh, or something like that. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, this is all mm. quite exciting just in because Oppo has, I think, for a long time, or at least the last couple of years, been one of the leading camera camera phone brands, at least on its high-end phones. I've, I've often felt that doesn't really carry through to its mid-range and budget devices that don't quite compete at their price. But in the flagship for space, sure. the, the Find X series in particular has been phenomenal on the camera front for, for at least a couple of phones in a row. So, say, seeing this stabilization appear in the next Find X4 would be would be very exciting, I think, to see if that really ups that even further. And if Oppo is getting serious about its own sensors and, you know, developing its own sensor ecosystem there and getting more focused on 
building its own camera hardware and and you know using less of other companies that could be a pretty interesting space to see it and of course worth saying because because it's oppo this stuff will filter through to oneplus it will filter through to realme uh we'll see a lot of this stuff work through to those other companies uh, those other brands cool yeah. Uh, let's turn to our final topic of today, which obviously is slightly linked to that Zoom tech. We've already teased it. The Sony Xperia 1 Mark III review. Um, Catchily named ta- as ever. So Sony. snappy. As Almost as snappy as the release <laughs> cycle. Uh, this phone was announced in February, April. March? Was it April? Uh, April. Okay, April. It was a little late. April was the official announcement, okay. but they were teasing it before that as far back as fine. We've known about it for a long time. Uh, and yes, a launch in April and then actually going hitting retail stores in late August is pretty exceptional. But never mind that. We have the phone now. Toddy, you've had it for a week or two? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit longer than actually now, which has been nice uh, to yeah, really kind of wrap my head around it. Because as with a lot of the Sony flagship stuff, the previous Xperia ones are, are a great example. Sony loves to throw a whole heap of what it brands you know very technical things that it's branded up Mm -hmm. that are usually its own creation and that is in and of itself an impressive achievement the fact that all of that tech is in this phone is very cool so this is definitely a phone of world firsts i guess the kind of caveat to that is that it's it's almost like world first that maybe just other people wouldn't have bothered <laughs> trying yeah yeah <laughs> pointless world first I, I don't, then, well no i don't want to say the point is they're just different i think sony is walking its own path that is what it does yes. in the phone space it, and that's mainly because it knows it can't compete with samsung with yeah. apple um all that said this is definitely a very competitive flagship phone um and all of the things that it promises it can do that other phones can't do i'd say it delivers on those promises which is probably the most important thing about this device if you want any of those unique features they are going to impress you and give you what you want um the the caveat generally in reviewing this phone is that it then as a result kind of stumbles on some of the fundamentals Mm. which undermine an otherwise really good phone um and i don't want to kind of um dwell on those too much but fundamentally the screen is a little dim um it's uh, a beautiful thin design but it can get kind of warm which is something that sony phones used to do and they seem to fix it and then this one seems to get warm when you're charging it or when you're doing certain intense stuff like using the camera for a long time gaming less so but it does happen with gaming it's not painfully hot to handle which some sony phones have been in the past but i was just surprised because i just haven't really had that issue on most high-end phones in recent memory Mm -hmm. so the fact that it's come back is is an odd trait um battery life as well they kind of make a whole point about the fact this has got much bigger battery than last year's model so they were on a 4000 million power cell with the one mark ii this is now four and a half k so it's one of the biggest batteries in a sony phone i can think of um and yet battery life on this is not very good. And, and part of that is probably the display, mm. um, which it defaults to 60 hertz out of the box. But this is technically the first phone in the world with a 4K HDR OLED display with 120 hertz refresh yep. rate. So last year we had the Whoa. <laughs> 4K HDR OLED on the Xperia 1 Mark II that I think could go up to 90 hertz. And then 120 hertz was available on the full HD screen of the 5 Mark II. Yes. 
just stick with me if you're following along well done you get a star um yeah so now this is the first one that does all of that in one go so you can technically play certain games if they are supported and it's hard to test that's one mm. of the things i struggle with but technically this can sony has confirmed this can run 4k content at 120 frames per second if you can find it in hdr like all of that stuff and can which, you plug your ps5 into it <laughs> well fully enough it does have dual short 4 support but it does not have dual sense support Oh. When they first teased the phones, this is what that was one of the first things I asked was, "Does it is it going to have PS5 support?" Before the PS5 had even launched, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I asked that, and then they were like, "Once the the console's launched, we can confirm." And I chased, and yeah, they they were like, "Not yet." And still now, even though the phone is now here, you cannot do any PS5 stuff with it. So if you want to play remote play or whatever it's called, I think it's it's yeah. preloaded on here. You need to have a DualShock Four controller still. I think you can stream from the PS5. I think it, it, you can get the app yeah, on the yeah. PS5 to do yep. it, or the the you know it's in the settings. But yeah, you need a DualShock Four, weirdly, not a DualSense. Um, but it would be cool to get those, you know, the, the DualSense trigger action exactly. on your phone. Yeah, that would yeah, be pretty be sweet. sweet. But right now you can't do that, so put it out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as a gaming phone, actually, for mobile gaming, it's really really good. The game enhancer feature. There's a really nice um, feature that I don't think I've come across. Uh, which is called, uh, I think it's called Rewind Time. Basically, it caches your gameplay the last 30 seconds. So you can hit record and it will have captured the yes, previous right. 30 seconds yep. from that point, Ooh. which is really nice. It's like Shadow Play, I think it is, on, on NVIDIA graphics cards on your PC. It's similar to that. Yeah, we've had a lot of that yeah, on yeah. console and PC now, but I don't know if I've seen that yeah, on exactly. phone before. No, no, exactly. So there's lots of little things yeah. that I really do like that stand out. Um uh, a pointless addition, in my opinion, is they've added a Google uh, Assistant no. button be oh. below the power button. Uh, loads of manufacturers have ditched that and implemented that into the power button. Yeah. Also, there's like eight other well, ways to get the Google Android Assistant. Is, Android 12 <laughs> is building it into the power I think we spoke about this when they announced it, because and Android 12 is building it into the power button by default now as an option. Yeah, right. So it's within... At the time, it was like, well, within six months of this coming out, it's going to be out of date. Now they've taken so bloody long to release it. Within a month of this phone launching, this <laughs> yeah. feature is going to be out of date. Uh, Actually, I should know that. I've got the 12 beta, yeah. and it does do that. Now my power button is just a Google yeah. button. Um, so, yeah, that's weird. I don't know why they bothered, considering it wasn't on previous versions, to add it now. just didn't Is make it multifunction? Can you remap it or anything you like that? You can't remap it. Not yet, anyway. Um, probably with third-party apps, there might be a way to do it, like people did with the Bixby key on, yeah. on the Galaxy S8 when that was first introduced. Maybe if, um, if we we can be optimistic for a second and say maybe when Sony updates it with Android 12, because of course that actually won't happen next month, that'll probably take a bit longer. Maybe whenever mm. they throw Android 12 on it, they will at that point allow remapping once it becomes, you know. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Um, hopefully. The, the weird, uh, what's maybe more weird is that they've gone for a pill-shaped design that's like flush with the frame and it sits right underneath the power button, which is also a pill-shaped design that's right uh, flush against oh, the no. frame. <laughs> so even though they're different sizes, at a glance, if you're trying to like quickly like turn the screen on, you're going to hit the Google key and wake up the assistant. on the opposite side. That's, I know, I know. Oh. There's nothing on the other side except for the SIM tray. Um, but then from a bad button to a good button, this also does have a physical shutter button, which I yes. love. Ooh, and it's, yeah. this time it's knurled, oh, which is an, an addition. So now it's got a nice texture on it as well. So you can easily feel that it's dual detent. So you can kind of half press to focus. Oh, I love it. That. That's great. Um, yeah. So screen's amazing. Just a little bit dim, but it is glorious. When you look at, I found some HDR 2K content on YouTube just before we, we started this stream. And it's 
Mwah, beautiful. It, it is a slight shame it's you, you can ding the screen for being a little dim because given the specs are kind of burst 4K HDR OLED 120 hertz, this is the all singing, all dancing display, and you should at least be able to definitively point at this phone and say, buy this one if your number one priority is display. <laughs> and the fact yeah. that there's still the chance to ding it and say, well, it is great, but it's still actually a little dim compared to some other ones, and you're kind of like, oh, no, the. They should have just. They, they needed to it. knock the display out of the park, <laughs> right? To to justify yeah, yeah. this phone. And also, that display tech is arguably better as a future proofing measure because yeah. it's oh, really yeah. hard to find content right now that can use all of the things that the display offers up in terms of refresh rate and HDR and resolution. But equally, I guess um, as much as anything, it's that it covers you in not for doing everything at once, but for different things. Say you have a phone that's two yeah. K, one hundred twenty hertz. Yes, you know, you get the same 120 hertz, 120 FPS options as this one does, but you can never watch 4K content on that phone. Yeah, Whereas this one, maybe you never get 4K 120 hertz at the same time, but you can go and play a game in 120, 120 FPS, and then you can go away and watch a 4K movie at separate times That's on the same really device. That's a really good way of looking at it. And yeah, yes, you're absolutely. never going to hit both at the same time, or at least not for another few years, but like... You're not choosing between those two features. You're not trying to decide, do I care more about my gaming like frame rate or do I care about more about my resolution when I watch Netflix? You you get both. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, it's not it's not you're trying to hit everything at the same time, mm. but you have the option of both paths if you want to take either. But you do want something um, that does just, everything. <laughs> people are Sony right now. They're going to be writing this down. This is a great way to yeah. market They this. should gonna... be. <laughs> um, yeah, Sony has a habit of like appealing to the fans that are already kind of convinced by the Sony brand and the Sony yeah, way. They, so they, don't... they have a very strong fan base. Credit to them. I don't really yeah. understand how they've cultivated that so strongly, but there are some very yeah. devout Sony mobile fans for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the screen is great. Um, the aspect ratio means it's also probably one of the better ones for split screen multitasking, which is good on most Android devices, but really, really mm -hmm. good on this because it's just a beautiful screen. Um, sound is amazing. Right. This is probably, especially with LG now at the mix, the audio experience mm. is incredible. The speakers are bigger and louder than they were before. Stereo speakers on the front. Uh, this is another world first is uh, 3D spatial audio through the speakers so kind of virtually through the stereo speakers it can mm. it can deal with spatial wow. audio which is nice um i could only find demo content on sony's website to test that but <laughs> it's there okay <laughs> it'll stay that way yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like the curse of this phone is there's so much cool stuff it could do if there was content for it um but they said you know platforms like deezer like tidal like amazon music hd uh, nugs.net which i don't what know what that is, is yeah this has been popping up a lot recently they they do live broadcast live live performances uh, in okay. spatial audio okay so oh, that's cool. library, so yeah so niche. this phone will work with all of that um, does it have a headphone jack or did i imagine that yeah, I think this one and the last yes. one both have a headphone jack, yeah, 3.5mm jack. Um, it does uh, upscaling as well. DSEE Ultimate is what they call it, which is just you get upscaled to high-res audio quality, mm -hmm. which is nice on MP3s and things like that. Um, and if you have spatial audio headphones as well, they're supported. High-res audio codec is supported. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, the solid. Yeah, it's a solid upgrade. It's, it's a fair point you made about LG being gone because I always used to say audio files should buy LG phones. And now that that's, that's gone, what I used to say too. it's now kind of like, it is, it is a great, it's a niche, you know, and it's a small niche and it obviously wasn't enough of a niche to keep LG going, but Sony's also <laughs> operating in a niche. And if it can just swallow up that Take niche that. together, yeah. Yeah. it's the display nerd niche is where Sony's focused. If it can get the audiophile nerd niche 
as well. This is such a nerd's phone. It gives it a this little more of a This is the nerdiest phone on yeah. the market right yeah. now, like, without a doubt. It's incredible. It's so nerdy, though. The average person will not care about the things that Sony has spent so much exactly, time developing. Yeah. Nope. The To kind of reiterate what we're talking about with the camera, yeah, this is a world first in that. It's also Sony's first periscopic camera, period. And, and, and then they, they went and did something crazy. Zoom in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they took it above, which is quite an Apple approach, I'd say. And, and yeah. you know, kudos to them. So this can get two optical zoom distances through one sensor, which the S21, as you mentioned, S21 Ultra has two separate sensors to do the same job. Mm-hmm. So you get a more compact and succinct camera module on the back. Um, it does look clean. And it also means that, yeah, white balancing, color balancing is less of an issue because you get, you know, when you're moving between sensors of different specs, yes, that's this more is, of a challenge for the camera team. That's something I meant to say about the Oppo continuous zoom and I, and I forgot forgot to bring it up then. But yeah, Oppo yeah. said the same thing about that continuous zoom tech is having it all on one sensor really get, helps you with that consistency that you're going to get. Yeah, if anyone's curious, you can actually like drag the zoom slider through the two focal distances. But I'm pretty sure that's just digital until it gets to the digital. higher resolution. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be using so the three just... times and then digitally yeah. zooming off yeah. that. Well, technically, it's 2.9 times and 4.4. Really oh, weird. Yes. I don't yeah. know why they didn't just design it to hit that 0.1% more magnification, but whatever. That was my only hesitation. Those feel to me to be quite close magnifications, 2.9 and 4.4. Does it feel like that, yeah. or does it does it still mm. feel like a reasonable gap between them? Um, I had the same thought, but in the samples, it's all right. I would say I rarely, rarely would I ever need to zoom more than that yeah. and expect to get a usable photo. So um, it maxes out at 12.5 times d- digital, which I'd say is maybe a little bit short. Oh, um, interesting. So they digital, don't even just, offer a kind of 60 times... No space yeah, zoom. Yeah. No, none of that. Yeah. So I think that is odd. Um, I would say, though, the, the telephoto picture quality when you zoom in is not super great. It does have OIS stabilization, mm. but I'd say that might be something that they could probably fix just with software updates. I think the zoom camera does need a bit of work beyond the technical achievement that it is, just like the actual sensor quality maybe could be just a little bit tidied up. It's so hard um, to know some... because of what you were saying about this being their first. It's so hard to know if that's because it's their first periscope and they're figuring it out or because they've thrown in this wild changing... It's so complicated. You know, ch- changing <laughs> zoom know. level and that, that, that maybe that fundamentally compromises the quality they can get. And we, you just... Can't know if it's that and there's just limits because of the hardware or if it's because they're learning periscopes and else they can patch it all out, you know, yeah. over the next few months. Yeah. Um, uh, another confusing thing is the camera apps. Like before mm. with last year's phone, you have a, a pro photo app and a pro video app, basically, the Cinema Pro and the Photography Pro app. Uh, weirdly now, the Photography Pro app has a mode called Basic, which is like most Android phones camera app. But it also does video. So the photo app does a video mode. But then if you want manual control on video, you have to go to the video app. It's a bit of a mess. Yes. Makes me want to scream. I don't know why, because they, <laughs> they had it a little bit more kind of clearly cut last year. Yeah. Uh, now it's not. Um, why? But you can shoot. I don't know. Who, who opens the Pro app one... and says, oh, I want basic mode <laughs> in I the Pro app? Basic. <laughs> Use the normal app. <laughs> I'd argue, yeah, maybe just have the regular camera app that Android comes with for that and then just yeah. have the two pro apps or have one pro app that just does photos and videos but is different to, I just don't know. put anyway. it all in the same app. And There's lots of ways in. you could have done it. I don't know if this is the right way, Sony, personally. No. It's a bit confusing. <laughs> but then I think that people who would buy this phone knowing what it can do would probably be okay with the weird yep. learning curve that Sony is pushing towards them. Oh, yeah. um, performance is really, really good, actually artificially on our benchmarks it scores extremely well 
Um, it's a Snapdragon 888, 12 gigs of RAM, last year's Xperia 1 Mark 2 had 8 gigs, so that's Big nice. Jump. And 256 gigs of storage, which means it lines up with equivalently priced phones like the S21 Ultra with that storage mm-hmm. amount. But there's no 128 gigabyte option. Um, but it is micro SD expandable, which the Samsung oh. isn't. Again, for so, nerds, yeah, it's this... always nerds that complain about the micro SD. And I say that with love, nerds, yeah. I really do. But yeah, you know, that's another little sign that they, they know their fan I mean, base. This is a podcast about phone tech. We're pretty nerdy in and in and of ourselves. We can't really like differentiate ourselves from nerds as a contingent. I feel that's a bit. He used to be the people that would demand removable batteries so that they could take an yes. extra charge battery out yep. with them and swap yeah. it over. That used to be the defining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do get goes, a charger yeah. in box. There's a 30 watt charger in the box with this phone, which obviously other high end phones aren't coming with. You now, have to so. celebrate that these days, don't you? It is. Yeah, that's part of where your money goes is with the charger, and the charge fast charging is is perfectly fine. It's not Oppo levels of incredible, like, you know, um, in the comparison list I wrote, I think the Find X3 made in there and that gets like 96% charge in 30 yeah. minutes. This gets just over half, but it's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it's nice to have that. At this point, aren't we? And it has wireless um, as well, right? It has wireless charging. Yep. Sony doesn't sell a wireless charger at all. Oh, funny. Uh, oh. At least not right now. Yeah. So they might have done in the past that you could probably find online, but they don't currently have one launched alongside this or anything so it just supports qi charging on any old charger they haven't said if it does support any sort of fast wireless charging so i can't test yep. whether it does or what standards that would adhere to um yeah okay uh what so else the, the big question i have for you is in a way a fairly simple one so price wise hmm. this is for the uk 1200 pounds which really puts it up in the s21 ultra space yeah, um, and the iPhone and 12, 12 Pro, Max Pro Max with the 256 gigs of storage. It's like right up yeah. in there. In so it's in that space. I know you've been using the S21 Ultra a lot as a, as a daily driver alongside... And, and the Pro Max. Is the Pro, is the Pro Max have... your iPhone? Cool. I wasn't sure which iPhone I, you use. Yeah, I use all of them a lot. So, so it's quite good, really, that this was the phone that came to me. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so that makes it even easier. You're spending that much yeah. money. Is this the one you buy with your £1,200, $1,300? Yeah. I can't recommend it to anyone other than Sony fans or, or geeks, those those super geeks. Yep. And, and that's because of the stuff I said at the start. Everything that Sony promises, it delivers on, and it is incredible. But it falls down on the screen brightness overall in bright sunlight. It falls down on getting a little bit warm, which just shouldn't be a thing when you're spending that much money. Mm-hmm. It also falls down. It only has two years, at least, Sony said at least two years of OS updates. Yep. But they haven't I said any like more at than least. that. <laughs> at least is really scary for me when you're spending yeah. over a thousand pounds on a phone. Um, and you know, Samsung's promised to think three or four Apple, Apple is Apple. Like the iPhone six S plus or success, sorry, is still getting updates, I think. So like, yeah, that's not even like remotely a concern. Um, that is maybe the biggest barrier to me more than anything else. Battery life is a bit, uh, is underwhelming and disappointing considering they make a whole point about the fact it's bigger in this phone. I will just to play devil's Um, advocate. I'll say one reason that to me, as someone who's never touched this phone in his life, that seems to me that you might also pick this one over the ultra or the pro max. If you were tempted is size, because this is a 6.5 inch display, which means it's comfortably smaller than both those phones. And because it's 21 by nine, it looks a bit weird versus the average phone, but I really do love like in the hand it's really nice to use it has a one-handed mode which does kind of negate any issues with like trying to reach the top of the screen um and it's thin yep. i would probably slap a case on this because it is even though it's gorilla glass victors on the front and gorilla Glass six on the back and it's frosted now which is nice, nice. 
it's uh yeah i still would, worry a little bit yeah but but yeah, yeah if, if you're but someone with that budget to, to spend and you know you're happy to spend a lot to get that top camera spec and all that stuff but you are maybe like me bothered by how big and bulky those phones are like for me it's the, it's the reason i don't sicker. use the mi 11 ultra which i've got you know kicking about but it's just too big a phone i don't want to use a phone that size uh, so for me yeah. something like this if i was in buying in that space i would be very tempted by this compared to those ones because it's those same specs but in a smaller form factor i've got a case on the ultra right now but you can kind of at least get a feel for like yeah you can see the cases like bulging over the sides it's still it's just so the much iPhone looks yeah the iphone looks enormous know, the iPhones iPhone. always look so much bigger even though the screen sizes are like the same or smaller but they're wider it's, it's aren't they chunks. they're still they're so still wide. Yeah. and wide they're wide ass yeah. phones yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you want a smaller phone, this isn't a small no. phone, but it is one of the small big phones, yes. if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, and the 5 Mark III, which we haven't tested yet, but we should be getting in really soon, has a lot of what this brings to the table, including that camera. Yes, um, but it's even smaller. And the performance. Yeah, but it's even smaller, 6.1 inches, mm -hmm. I think. So that's a really strong offering in terms of a powerful small phone that, you know, we always talk about how there just aren't enough of those in the Android yep. space or the smartphone space, yep. really. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so it has its merits, but it also has some pretty fundamental flaws that only some of which Sony can address in software updates. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Fair enough. Great. Well, that will do us for this week. We will be back same time, same place next week as ever. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure what is coming out in the next week that we're going to be talking about, actually. Um, stuff. Stuff. Maybe by then. I don't we'll think have we'll have a... any reviews done, no. but we'll have maybe Motorola Edge 20 phones might be. Yes, we are expecting Edge 20s. We, we may have received a foldable by then from Samsung if we get mm. a bit lucky. Um, I know we, we do have Galaxy Watch 4, so could That's be true. we could talk Galaxy Watch 4 <laughs> and that uh, new software that is on there, which is very exciting. We can go in a bit more in depth on that. We will see. Until then, um, check out the channel. We have some new videos coming up. And in fact, just this week, Tolly's budget phone buying guide went live on the YouTube channel. So if you want to know what we think right now of the cheap end of the phone market, uh, especially if you're a poor American feeling, you know, hard done by, you can see all the lovely cheap phones we can buy that are better than a Pixel 4a 5G or a 5a 5G even. Uh, but, yeah, I think I mentioned the Pixel 4a in there, but only as to rag on it. Yeah. I think that's the only reason there's a mention I of think, Pixel. To be it. fair, I put the 4a in my in my mid-range phone guide, but with a real caveat of a kind of like, uh, buy it if you really want that camera or the Google software, but otherwise buy something else. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Uh, so <laughs> do come back and listen to us meander through some phone topics once again. Uh, until then, thank you for watching and or listening. And we will see you soon. And remember to like and subscribe if you're with us on YouTube. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.